Hello and welcome back to John Guest Remembers, a mini-series of the Our Church, Our Stories podcast. In this week's episode, Pastor John talks about the personal nature of his relationship with Christ and the history and process of how he began to see his future in the ministry. A number of things instinctively, I knew that night, within 24 hours of giving my life over to Jesus, and making a public profession of faith, which I realize is very, very important, declaring your hand, especially with a friend who was another trainee in this engineering program. To give, give, give a larger context, just to the, of not being alone, that, I, that Jesus was with me, because I grasped that. So as I'm going home that night, Jesus is with me. I am not alone. But waking up the next morning... My fresh new thought was, I'm not alone. And then going down the street, Woodland Road, Walthamstow. I'm not alone. So when I sat in a class, when I was on a soccer field, when I was uh, at the company where I was working, I was not alone. And I began to talk to the Lord about what I was learning, experimenting with, with the engineering and the manufacturing and uh, the classwork and and so on. Uh, Began to talk to him about, uh, you know, the girls that you would date. It became an ongoing running kind of conversation. Uh, Not alone. Now, the larger context is this. I was feeling very alone because we had moved from Oxford. I guess there was a kind of a loneliness even in Oxford growing up. I always had a strong sense of my own identity, my own inner man, my own inner being. So it was, you know, I'm going back to reflecting on where does all this head? Why am I going to school? What's, What's the point of it all? And those were private thoughts. I don't remember ever discussing that with anybody. But I never had any real friends that I could really closely trust. Uh, There was always a a space, sometimes quite an adequate, you know, major space between myself and people that I thought were real friends, were uh, school-wise friends. I suppose I would never have ever measured up as a friend, but none of my friends ever measured up as a friend to me either. And here and there, I felt some letdowns. Now, when we moved from Oxford to London, now we're in a big, major metropolitan area where I knew no one. So I'm making all my friendships and associations from a standing start. And that was very lonely. So, for instance, I can remember our first Christmas, maybe second Christmas and third Christmas and whatever, followed until I became a believer in Jesus London was gay, bright, shining lights, fantastic storefronts, and, you know, carols and music and the anticipation of gifts and parties and and Christmas. And yet I would walk around in that, up and down the street near where I live, the shopping street, very alone, lonely, and looking at all the gaiety, the the joy, the bright lights, what London represented, whether it's the sports or the movies or whatever else was there, um, 
very alone. So you go to bed, you're alone. Uh, you walk down the street, you're on your own. So in getting to know Jesus transformed that sense of self-awareness that was not alone. That was the end of any loneliness for me. Because I had this intimate personal relationship with the living God who would never let me down, would never take advantage of me, was not a user, uh, understood me perfectly and loved me perfectly, and who I responded to. I can't say I loved him perfectly, but with a wholehearted trust. So that relationship was the beauty of the ongoing beauty of what Christian faith is, salvation. It meant that my life now had a sense of destiny because I had a personal relationship with God and he was on my, I was on his team. I was going to say he was on my team, but he was definitely for me. Now I knew what the big picture was. I knew that heaven was my home. So I had a destination that was settled. I knew heaven was my home no matter when I died from that moment on. So if I died in an accident or through an illness, heaven was my home. Not because I was good enough, but because Jesus had given me eternal life. And I didn't even know that phrase to use it, but I knew what that meant that I had an eternal relationship with God, I mean forever, that led to glory in heaven. Well, when you've got a destination, this isn't just clever words, you can have a sense of destiny so that between here and arriving in heaven, my life was going to count for something, which was always a question mark. What are you going to do with your life? Is it really just a matter of as much pleasure as you can get as quickly as you can? Or is there something significant about it? Will it count for anything? Will you leave a mark that isn't just a faint memory of whoever you were, but you'd make a difference? And I knew that night, instinctively, my life would count for something. And that's all related to Jesus knowing Christ personally, being forgiven by him, being made new and clean by him, being indwelt by him. All this relates to a sense of destiny. Here I am now experiencing this relationship and a sense of destiny about my life and knowing that engineering was not going to be that destiny, that already that that paled i mean to be and i ended up wanting really in effect to be working with people rather than raw metals and while there's some people business in the industry uh your your craft is the what you produce and uh that looked meaningless at that point other than to make a living so the idea of influencing people the way my vicar had influenced me. And so they began to use me Sunday by Sunday for that service in the hospital. 
So now I'm giving these five to ten minute homilies. And God was using them. So one Sunday, walking back to the church from the hospital, it was only a couple of blocks away, I was walking with my vicar, Kenneth Druitt. And I said, no, he, we called him Vic. That was our familiarity to call him Vic. I said to him, how do you become one of these? And I went like this for his collar, which he always wore. And the first time I asked him, he really didn't take me, you know, I didn't really get an answer that felt like an answer. So I would think maybe a month later, I asked him the same question I had. He was very accessible. How do you become, I wouldn't have said minister, I would have probably said, how do you become a vicar? So then he took me seriously because I'd come back at him. So it wasn't a light. He knew I'd been thinking about it. It's almost the way he tested me. And so we that got me into the process. But it was that he then put me through a process, which meant going up to Westminster Abbey. And the back of the Abbey, which the general public doesn't see because they just go into this magnificent building, is a huge quadrangle at least a hundred, two hundred yards square, with all these buildings around it, which are the offices of the Church of England. And he was quite a player in the Church of England. He was a canon in our diocese, which is an honour. And he uh, took me up there, drove me up, and uh, introduced me to the person who was responsible for the whole program by which young men, it was only in those days, became clergy. And that led to a weekend conference at Farnham Castle, just outside London, a property that the church owned and had as a conference centre. And I don't know if there were a dozen or 15 or 20 young men like myself met and had a two to three day sort of interview process, public large group conversations and small group conversations and one-on-one -on -one conversations. One of the men headed up the uh, one of the seminaries not too far from us, where I lived, in other words, eastern suburb of London. Another was the Dean of Windsor, which was big time, Another was a fellow at Oxford University. So these were serious Christian men who were, and there were one or two others, but those three I remember, and they were part of the interviewing group. And they would meet afterwards and determine whether they thought we were you know, ministerial material. And I had a clue that I might well be one because walking out of the castle through these... There was a door within the big gate, walking out. The Dean of Windsor shook hands with each of us as we left. But he said, God bless you, guest. God bless you. I remember one of the questions was he, I don't know if he asked me in a small group or personally. So he said, well, what would you do if people don't want to come to church? I said, well, you go knocking on the doors and visit them, was my answer, simple answer. You go to where they are. I had done a little of that in my own church. And I know he was impressed 
Because that's the obvious answer. You've got to go let them know you're there. So that was it.